Okay, now, the longer that we are Christians, that the more uh, you and I hear the preaching of God's Word, God's word the, the greater our exposure is to what is called the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is, in, in, in congregations like ours, in church, like Reformed churches like ours, there is a sort of huge, major, and I would argue perhaps correct, emphasis on the instructions that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew's gospel. Do you know them? You know, where he stands uh, before his people. And he speaks effectively, essentially, he speaks to you if you're a Christian. He speaks to me and he says, go. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, in some ways we're kind of cool with the Great Commission, aren't we? We're kind of down with the Great Commission. I'd be I would doubt very much that there are any Christians in here this morning who would who would stand there and argue that God doesn't want us to go and witness or evangelize. I doubt very doubt very many Christians are, are, are going to say that. See, the problem we have with the Great Commission isn't so much a sort of intellectual or a spiritual assent to it. The problem, I think, if we're very honest, is how do we do it? You know, how, how, do we, how do we obey something like that from Jesus? It's all very well for me to stand on a Sunday and for us to talk about it in our home and sort of say, okay, we're supposed to go and witness. It's an entirely different thing, isn't it? Monday to Saturday for you and me to go out there to try and have, try and meet people, try and have conversations where we actually speak about Jesus Christ. Isn't that the problem? It is, isn't it? Well, as we move into Acts 14 today, look, we're going to come to material, we're going to come to verses today that, that genuinely, really can help us with this stuff. You see, think about this. We're, lo- we're looking at, at this point in Acts, we're looking at Paul's first missionary journey. Now, we've seen this, we've seen Paul in, in Cyprus. And then we've seen him move, and we've seen him in Pisidian, Antioch. Now today what happens is that he goes to this place called Iconium, so he's basically he's moved about 90 miles southeast. Now, we're at the stage, because he's, 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 a, He's into this journey. Now, we're at the stage, if we stand back, do you know what? We can see a strategy begin to emerge here, can't we? You know, he's, we look at, see what he's done in Cyprus. And, and then we can see what he's done in Pisidian Antioch. Now, we can see in Iconium, we look at it now, and we can see that, that wait a minute, there's a myth here. Do you see it? There's a pattern that begins to emerge. We can see a strategy today of how Paul and Barnabas sought to win people for Jesus Christ. So here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. This morning in our time together, we're just going to consider what their plan was for winning souls. And we're going to see, well, hang on, is there anything that we can learn as people, as a congregation? Is there anything that we can learn from Paul and Barnabas? about what we can do this week, even this week, to try and speak and, and try and show people the, the wonder, glory, the, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. That's the plan. So you know the drill. Um, 
If you've got a Bible, please have it open at Acts 14, because it's just a short number of verses, and we'll be looking at them in detail. So Acts 14 is the portion of Scripture. Um, And let's consider a a first thing here. So we're thinking about Paul and Barnabas. Think about that they testified together. That's a first heading. They testified. Paul and Barnabas, they testified. Now, um, if you were here last week, if you cast your mind back to that, you will recall that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was having um, really major problems with the Jewish authorities. Do you remember that? Like, he got up, Apostle Paul, he got up and he, remember he was in the body of the congregation in Pisidian Antioch, and he got up and he preached. The Jews not only rejected the, the gospel message that day, but do you remember what Paul said to them? He said, you've rejected the gospel, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn from you, and I'm going to turn primarily and focus on the Gentiles. Remember that? Well, think about it. Despite that, look what happens here in verse 1. We find that Paul's continued strategy, his continued plan is to go, as usual, to the, the Jewish synagogue. Right? Now, that's interesting, but it's not what I want us to think about. Let's not think so much about where the disciples go here as who it was. Let's think about who it was that actually in Iconium stepped forth into the synagogue. So that's the first question for you. Verse 1, couldn't be any more simple. Have a look. Who depends, you might not be that explicit, depends on what translation of the Bible you got, but who are we dealing with here in verse 1? Who is it that goes into the synagogue? Do you see it? It is it's Paul and Barnabas. Okay, that's, that's it. It's Paul and Bar- Now, what do we know about Paul and Barnabas? Well, we know from chapter 13 that God has been involved here. We know that the Holy Spirit has specially commissioned these two guys, Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit, set them aside for this missionary journey, for this specific task. Now, we know John Mark's mentioned in chapter 13. He's, He's fallen away. He's out of the scene. You and I are looking here at two guys, two men witnessing for Jesus in Iconium. Now, here's the thing. When we, as a congregation, think about evangelism, we think about it in terms of the individual and in terms of the corporate, don't we? Like, here's a scenario. After I finish preaching, we're going to sing to Jesus. I'm going to sing to the Lord God. I'll pronounce the benediction, and we'll go over and have a cup of coffee. And you know how it goes. We all ask each other the same question. How has your week been? Okay? Now, imagine in conversation, here's the scenario, you ask that person, and they say to you, well, actually, I had an opportunity to witness this week. I was involved in evangelism this week. Now, what what would you think that that person was talking about? What would you think that they were referring to? If you're anything like me, you would think either that person has been speaking by themselves to somebody about Jesus Christ, yeah? Or, what's the alternative? that they've been involved in a big sort of congregational thing where maybe some street work or maybe an alpha course. Yeah, something like that. Either, do you see it? Either individual or corporate. Well, look what we're seeing here. We're seeing here that Paul and Barnabas went out in partnership. We're seeing that the strategy of the early church was often to see Christians working together. How? Working together in pairs. 
Now, think about the advantage of that in this context. Paul and Barnabas going out in a pair in a missionary journey like this. Both of them using their gifts in different ways. You know, you, you sort of begin to see that Paul's doing the bulk of the preaching, isn't he? Barnabas would have been using his gifts in other ways. They would have been in each other, working together, wouldn't they? They would have been uh, caring for each other. They would have been working together. Now, as a congregation, do you see what this means for, for us? Do you see what it means for you as a Christian? Hear this. God's given all of us relationships that he wants us to use for his glory. Now, I fired over that pretty quickly. So I'm going to just stop. and I want you to get this a different way because this is, this is the point. There are relationships that you have in your life just now that God wants you to use intentionally. Intentionally. Now, what is that? That sounds good. Intentionally. What does it mean? Well, let, let me give you a couple of examples. Look. Have you got a good friend in the life of the City Presbyterian Church? Like if I say the idea of Christian friendships, is there somebody that springs to mind? Maybe even a couple of people that spring to mind. Is there someone that springs to mind? Good Christian friend. It's time to use that friendship for the glory of God. Now, how, how do we do that? I mean, it's, how, do, how do we go about Pray together with that friend, with that friend. Speak together about how you can work together to try and reach the lost. Use the friendships that you've got in the church. Do you want an, another example? Something that's much more basic, something that's much more fundamental. Well, what about your spouse? Are you married? Do you see what God has done? God, you know, we say, you know, God has given me a, a partner for life. He's given me a life partner in marriage. But do you see what God has done if you're a Christian? God has given you a life partner in the Great Commission. It is time that we use our marriages intentionally. That we are pl- praying together, planning together how we are both, as a couple, going to try and reach the people that we know, reach our friends, reach the people that live near us. Do you see it? Friends, I firmly believe that what we're talking about here is really an exciting way to to reassess how we witness. It's not just about individuals. It's not just about a, a congregation going out there, Paul and Barnabas. They went out strategically as a pair. In fact, guess what? Mark 6, Jesus sends out his disciples. How? He sends them out in pairs. Friends, let's start working together in partnerships to tell people the wonder of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas testified, testified together. Okay. Secondly, let's consider that Paul and Barnabas were thinking about their strategy. They've testified together, sent out together by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's consider that they spoke successfully. They spoke successfully. Okay. Um, It was common. Probably we're talking about the 17th century, 18th century. It was common for the upper classes of society uh, to embark. I think it was upper class men largely to embark on what was called a grand tour. 
Uh, so this is when, you know, the likes of uh, Lord Byron and his aristocratic chums would uh, sort of head off in this like elaborate, lengthy uh, tour, journey right throughout Europe and the south of Europe. Well, what we've got to see is that Paul's missionary journey is just, you know, the complete antithesis of those kind of lavish, elaborate, and lengthy jaunts. Now, I'm sure you see what I mean, but have you ever really stopped to think about the rush that Paul was in? See what I mean? Do you see, ever sort of thought about the haste and the real sense of urgency that there is? I mean, he's, think about it, I mean, he's in Cyprus, does this stuff in Cyprus, he's all, he's back in a boat, and he's up in Pisidian Antioch, and then, as quick as he can, he's, he's in Iconium. Do you see it? He's not kind of putting roots down, it's not long-term relationships and all that. It's off the boat, into the synagogue, speak about Jesus. Okay? Real, real rush to it all. But we don't just see here that the early church's strategy was to speak about Jesus and to speak about Jesus quickly. We also see here something about the way. Something about the manner in which they they spoke. So what I'll do, I'll ask you to look at verse 1 if your Bibles are open. Now, about halfway through verse 1, look at this. It's very, very, very unusual, this. Um, I suppose it depends on the translation of your Bible. But you're either going to have in front of you, about halfway through verse 1, you're either going to say that Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively, you don't see that often in Scripture, or, depending on your Bible translation, it's going to say Paul and Barnabas spoke, they spoke in such a way that many were saved. I think that's how the ESV has it. They spoke in such a way. That's really close to the original. But what does it mean? Do you see how strange and unusual it is? They spoke in such a way that people were saved. Like it could mean, I think, that it's just that the Holy Spirit so blessed their witness that people were saved. Now it could mean that. I don't think it does just mean that though, does it? Like follow me in this and don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation and it's his work. He does it all. But do you see, they spoke in such a way. Does that not suggest to us that there was something about the style and there was something about the content of their preaching and their speaking that day that the Holy Spirit peculiarly blessed, right? They spoke in such a way. Now, now what was it? You know, what, what was it with these disciples that was just so unique and so special that day in Iconium, in that synagogue? Well, guess what? We don't know. We've got no idea. We're not told. But surely we can see that there would have been conviction. You know, that the, the congregation in that synagogue, even by the urgency that these guys have shown, they would have seen why these guys are serious about this gospel message. There would have been conviction. There would have been compassion. Paul and Barnabas going to all these towns and cities to speak to multitudes who are dying without Jesus Christ, who are dying facing the wrath of God. There would have been compassion. And there would have been clarity. Wouldn't there? 
then standing up in the synagogue, speaking plainly, it would have been Holy Spirit-inspired cohesion. Now, as we think about that there, is there nothing that we can learn about how we should obey the Great Commission? There is, isn't there? We are seeing here not only the primacy of preaching, not only the necessity that we speak of Jesus Christ as individual Christians. We see that. But we also see there the need we have to work at how we communicate the gospel. You see it? They spoke in such a way. Now that's easy for us to say, isn't it? But how do we become more effective as individual Christians at communicating the gospel? Tell you what, suggest just one thing, one thing that we could do as a congregation. How do we become more effective? Well, I suggest this morning that at LCPC, quite simply, we could read more about sharing our faith. In the last year, in fact, in the last six months, there's been a whole load, a plethora of books that have been released, good books, Godly books, books about sharing faith, books about witnessing, books about evangelism. Now, I wonder, do we read these things? Do we care so much that we are studying these books? Do we pray over them? Are we all trying to to get a sort of conviction and compassion and clarity in our gospel witness, are we? See, if we are serious about this today, The words that Jesus has said to us, this great commission, the thing that Jesus has said to us to do, then obviously we've got to be praying because the work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also have to be reading. And friends, we have to be trying to become as effective as we can in communicating the good news of salvation in Christ. We read. They spoke in such a way, blessed by the Holy Spirit, that many people that day in Iconium were saved. Okay, so we've seen that they testified together. We've seen that they spoke successfully. Thirdly, we see they also remained resolute. They remained resolute. Now, um, there are some things in life that are absolutely inevitable. Halloween, for example. Uh, you can switch all your lights off in the house <laughs> and you can close the curtains and you can sort of cower away in a room at the back of the house. But boys and girls are still going to ring, <laughs> ring on the doorbell and they're still going to be looking for sweets, aren't they? Something's absolutely inevitable. And it's the same in the church, isn't it? I mean, if we've seen anything in the book of Acts, we have seen that the witness for Jesus Christ invariably is accompanied by what? What is absolutely inevitable? There will be conflict and there will be problems and there will be opposition. And that's what we've got here in Iconium as well, isn't it? Because Paul preaches... In Iconium, and, and he preaches in such a way, all these people are saved, and then no sooner has he done that, than the city is absolutely split in two, and there's division, and there's opposition, and there's persecution. And I think, and I don't want to major this, 
But I do think it's probably worth me saying and noting the form that this persecution takes. Have a look at it. What's the opposition? See, it's not reasoned argument against against the gospel. It very, very rarely is. No, what you've got here is one of Satan's uh, most common devices, isn't it? And it's slander. And it's slander and malice against the ones who speak and against the ones who preach the gospel. But what, what I want us to notice is not so much the form of the conflict, but it's actually the reaction to it, the reaction of Paul and Barnabas. They're opposed. How do they react? Now, just please again, have a look at verse 3 with me. Because you get a lot of the commentator in Scripture, a lot of actually quite good guys, and they will say that verse 3 is just a sort of throwaway verse. That it's just, some of them say it's in their own place. They say it's just a throwaway line. Verse 3 says, Paul and Barnabas spent a long time in Iconium. So, not a big deal. So what? Just a throwaway line, okay? Now, they're wrong. And this is important. Because what you've got to realize is that there is a conjunction, a linking word between verse 2 and verse 3 in the original. And when you see that the conjunction is the word therefore in the original, what we see is actually quite amazing. Because what we're being told is that Paul, think about this, Paul and Barnabas were slandered, you know, malice, attacked. Then you stick in the conjunction, Therefore, because of that, they stayed a long time in Iconium. Do you see how awesome that is? They stayed. They changed their plans, if you like. They remained absolutely resolute because of all this attack, because of all this persecution. And that's, that's great. That's brilliant. But it gets even better because of how the verse ends. Verse 3 says that they stayed even under attack, and they spoke boldly. Do you see? The greater this opposition became, the bolder these guys became in proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now, I'm saying that that's marvelous. I wonder, do you see how revolutionary it is for the way that we approach these things? Like, I don't know about you, but in times where I have found people speaking behind my back as a Christian or in times where I have felt like there's slander and malice going on, my reaction is really to fall back. You know, to shrink back and not to to be as bold and really basically to clam up. And do you see how different that is? That there, that opposition, it leads to a flourishing of gospel witness. A flourishing. And that's challenging for us as Christians, especially if just now we face that sort of malice and, and opposition, isn't it? What we're seeing is in the Holy Spirit that slander actually should be a stimulant to gospel witness. We're seeing that like fierce opposition here it should actually lead to a fervency 
Like, we should really take heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would urge you to do that this morning. Take heart if you are in that situation that you are being opposed. Because, do you see the people that are opposing you just now? They are the ones, very often, who are spiritually unsettled. It is sometimes the case that the ones who are opposing us are the ones that the Holy Spirit, just now, is working to change. So surely we are amazed. They, they testified together and they spoke successfully, but all the date remained wonderfully resolute. And then we close with a, a fourth thing. Um, lastly here, Paul and Barnabas, this strategy involved having confidence in Christ. They had confidence in Christ. That's our fourth and last thing. Now, I suppose we we have to ask why it was that Paul and Barnabas remained in in Iconium. I wouldn't want to do that. I don't know about you, as you read those verses and you think, Iconium sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? When it says that the city was divided, you know? Imagine the tension, just being a Christian in that place. It would have been a mere, an absolute nightmare. Now, why did they stick around? Why did they not move on? Um, Why did they not move on sooner? Why did they wait until their life was very much under threat before they carried on? I suppose the answer is obvious, isn't it? They stuck around through all of that slander and bitterness because they believed if they continued to testify to the glory of Christ, what would happen? That God would bless that bless those efforts. Do you know what we read in, 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 in verse 3? God does exactly that. He does bless this. I'll read it to you. Just follow it in your Bibles. I'll read it. Verse 3. So they, they've been slandered and therefore Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time in the city speaking boldly for the Lord. And how does the Lord act? He confirmed the message of his grace. And What does that mean? That God confirmed the message of his grace. Well, I know that some of you, especially some of the younger people, uh, like the film, like the program Suits. And uh, some of you like The Good Wife, I know that. You know, film programs about lawyers, programs about attorneys, if you want. Well, that's the idea that we've got here. We've got God in Iconium. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ in Iconium bearing witness. It's a courtroom. It is God testifying, confirming that everything that Paul and Barnabas are saying to to that population was, was true. Now, how does he do it? How does God bear witness? Well, what does it say? He bore witness to their message by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Now, this is the point that, that we're trying to get to. This is, this is where we close it in. Look, just as it was for Paul and Barnabas, the core and the heart and the center of our strategy to obey the Great Commission, it has to be the knowledge that when we go out into the world as Christians to try and do what they were doing and speak to people about Jesus Christ, we don't do it alone. And if we lose sight of that, our strategy falls to pieces and we don't witness and we we don't do anything. 
that when you go out as a Christian into London, into your workplace, it's the same as this. That as you speak about Jesus, he, the Lord of glory, is with you. And that's a thought, isn't it? That Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as you speak maybe to your your, your partner who's not a Christian, your friend who's not a Christian, as you speak, Christ is present. And Christ is testifying. And Christ is confirming your message to the hearts of those people. Now, how does he do that? Here with Paul and Barnabas, is miraculous signs and wonders. What does he do? How does he, how does he bear witness to what you say? Well, perhaps he may change, work that miracle, and change the heart of the person you are speaking to, the person you are close to, the person you are working with. He can work the miracle of saving that person. We forget that. He can save the people we speak to. And so maybe we start sitting here in church this morning and we think, I want to do this. I do this great commission. I want to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. I actually want to do this. There's something in my heart that makes me want to go out and talk to people who are lost. But I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. Do you remember two weeks ago on Sunday night we were looking at Colossians and Paul called the gospel the word of truth. Do you remember that? The word of truth. Here Luke calls it something different. He calls the gospel the word of grace. And I tell you as a congregation that is what we are supposed to go and do. We are supposed to go and tell people about grace. You know the aim of the Great Commission is not to go and tell people about Sabbath observance or or traditional marriage. It's not about going to tell people Christian lifestyle and Christian values. None of that. The aim of the Great Commission is to go and tell people about grace. That God has in his goodness to us devised a plan where he is going to rescue us from that separation that we have with him. That's grace in that, isn't there? Do you see it? That this plan involves somebody else dying on your behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the grace in that? That this plan means that today, just now, in here, salvation is available through mere, simple repentance and belief. Do you see it? It's this grace, grace, that is the subject matter of our faith. Now, we leave Paul... And we leave Barnabas, and they they go away from Iconium, and they go somewhere else, and they continue with their strategy. But let's learn from that today, will we? Let's learn that we can work in partnerships, we can work to speak more successfully as Christians. Let's learn that we've got to remain absolutely resolute when we are opposed. And I tell you this, above all things this morning, above everything, standing above it all, Let's learn this week that we go out there and what we're trying to do in the power of Jesus Christ, alongside Jesus Christ, is testify to grace. It's grace. It is all about God's grace in Jesus Christ. Because it's an awesome message we've got, isn't it? Have you lost sight of that message? Jesus has died, but he's risen. And salvation is available in him. It is a great message. But how, how will they believe? 
if they do not hear. Let's pray.